0: Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your weekly source to keep you informed on everything about financing your home, where you will hear real facts, no BS. I'm your host, Jennifer Hernandez, a loan officer since 1995, and over 4,300 families financed to date. If you're starting to think about buying or refinancing a home, wonder if you have the right credit, savings, or even income, you're in the right place. On my weekly episodes, I make complicated topics easy to understand. By the way, my license is NMLS 514497. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and don't represent any legal advice. Thanks for joining. Let's jump in.
1: So welcome to Till Death Do Us Part. How Divorce Affects Buying and Selling. So I'm Jennifer Hernandez, and I'm with Legacy Mutual Mortgage. And I'm joined by Laura Hoker of Envision Title, one of our favorite title gals. Thanks for all you do for us. Y'all close. Everything is so seamless. When my team doesn't give me anything negative, it's good news. So (laughs) you've never gotten any negative comments. I'll tell you that. love it when y'all help us on the refis. Okay. So today's topic, really has spurred, you know, Laura and I put our heads together and it really is something that unfortunately happens, right? So people are separating and we see, you know, Laura, I don't know about you, but do you see an uptick in it when there's downtime like COVID and there's stressors in, you know, whether it's a recession or stress or whatever.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So yeah, it is unfortunate that that does happen. So I thought it was a timely topic for us to have and just talk really about the basics. Like, I think that the main things that I really want everyone to take away, I think the first thing I really need to implore with you to learn the biggest takeaway is you've got to let your realtor know that this is happening. Because if you don't, I mean, we know it's embarrassing. We know that you no one, you really don't want anyone to know your personal stuff, but your realtors are there to help you. And they're there to help you have an ease, you know, peaceful talking points is what I call them. Like, let's just address it at the beginning, and let's let the title and the lender know because when that stuff comes up last minute, nobody is happy. Everyone's like, "What do you mean? What, what do you <laughs> think is happening?" So, I think as a realtor, just say, "Hey, is there anything I need to know about?" Like, usually, exactly. you can tell when they're splitting up, but. Sometimes, you know, we, we understand people want to keep their stuff private, but when you're buying and selling, you really do have to let the professionals know that are there to help you. Yes. So Laura, tell us a little bit about you and what you do at Envision.
2: Absolutely. Hi everybody. My name is Laura Hoker. I am an escrow officer with Envision Title. I have been in Title since 2010. And I think I've probably worked in every position. I started at the front desk, you know, and then I worked to post-closing and then processing, funding, you name it. I've done it. I really think it's helpful when you kind of work every position in a company because then you know all of the ins and outs of everything. And so escrow officer is actually my favorite position so far. I love meeting people every single day. Every transaction is very different, but I do love this topic. Jen and I have come up with great talking points and guidelines.
1: Awesome. Now we're going to get into why y'all are here. So first we're going to talk about selling and Laura's really going to go into that because I really don't have anything to do with that part, but Laura, okay. tell us what they need to know when that when they're selling a house and what listing agents need to ask and what sellers need to know if they're parting.
2: Okay. So let's say a petition has been filed for divorce and it is not final. So the divorce is not final yet. Now, if the parties are not going to move forward with the divorce, and we actually had the specific instance happen the other day, then we do need a dismissal from the petition, and will need the spouse to join in the transaction. Now, if the intention is for them to move forward with the divorce and finalize everything, we do actually need everything to be finalized before we can move forward. Because in the divorce decree, it's going to tell title who's selling the property, if anybody is getting a percentage of the proceeds or anything like that. So we really do need it to be finalized before we can move forward.
1: So in other words, Laura, before they sell the house, like you're able to tell that a petition has been filed
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the records, right? Yes. So your you're, examiner is going to pick up the petition and you're going to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And let's say they say, oh, we're smack dab in the middle of the divorce. It's not final. We're just fighting over this, that, and the other. We're, you know, we're not sure. Y'all can't close until it's finalized.
2: Correct. Or we have to have an order from the court telling us that we can actually move forward with closing.
1: Yeah, because what if the property is in negotiation, right? Exactly. You can't close, and then you get a bunch of lawyers calling you, like, hey, Mm -hmm. okay, so selling is really important that the petition is filed, and obviously everybody's going to know about it. It's public record. Mm
2: hmm. They can
1: until it's final or...
2: Exactly. Yeah. And we've actually had one where they were in, the, in divorce proceedings, but we were actually able to send the proceeds wire to an attorney to hold the proceeds until they could finalize everything. And then the attorney would disperse of the proceeds that way. Okay.
1: So under the moving forward with the divorce bullet, is really, it needs to be finalized or court order. order. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's super interesting. Okay. So this is the things are not final. Now let's talk about when the divorce is final. So it's been finalized. Then what does the seller need to worry about?
2: Okay. So the divorce decree, will need to be filed of record. So let's say the property that is being sold is happening in the same county as the divorce. So we'll be able to pull that up in our search of the property when we're examining it. Now, let's say the divorce occurred in another county, then we would need to order a certified copy of that divorce decree to review it and then also record it of record. Now, if a divorce decree is going to be acceptable by title, to transfer title to of a property, it's going to have to have a good legal description because title insurance ensures a legal description, not the site is address. So it must have the legal description of the property that is being sold. It's going to have a clear vesting verbiage. So it needs to let us know who is going to remain in title, who is divesting their interest in title. And then I already touched on it being recorded in the real property records. And then let's say one party is divesting their interest to another party. The former spouse will have to record a deed evidencing this transfer. So it has to be very, very clear. If the divorce decree is not clear, and Let's say it's not acceptable. Then we will actually have to have that other spouse join or uh, execute a deed.
1: When you say the other spouse join, you mean they're like going to have to be like signing at closing and all that okay. stuff.
2: At least a deed divesting their interest. Okay, got you.
1: So there's a couple more things when the divorce is final. This is page two.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say. The divorce decree actually states that one spouse will stay in title. They're going to remain in title. The other spouse can actually have a lien or an oldie lien filed of record, and that will actually let title know how much proceeds they're going to make off of the sale. It doesn't even have to be 50-50. It could be a 75-25% split, you know, but that is why we definitely need the uh, payoff and a release of lien so that we can close the transaction.
1: I'm going to do just a quick segue here. We do quite a bit of refinances at this juncture where one spouse wants to be taken out of their equity. They're like, okay, we're going to refinance and put it in the person that's staying. Mm -hmm. And I, the other spouse, I want to get out my equity. So we will allow in those instances, we can have a lien that's up to 95% loan to value. Like, because normally, and this is Texas, y'all, like there's some people I think, you know, I know that are going to watch this eventually. They're like, hey, what about my state? So if you're in another state, you have to double check this information, okay? But if you're in Texas, full steam ahead on what I'm about to say. But in Texas, we can only take equity out of our property up to 80%. But in the case of the Ulti lien, And ulti is spelled O W E L T Y, right? It's like this weird. (laughs) So we can, since we're paying off a spouse that was party to the transaction, and you're really not cashing out, you're just giving them what they owe. But we can do a refi giving the portion of the equity, you know, up to ninety five percent max loan to value to that ex spouse or soon to be ex spouse. So we can even do it sometimes when they're not divorced yet. But So anyway, you can always talk to a lender about that. But I just, while we were on the topic, I wanted to mention that, that it's possible.
2: So I actually have a question. So then would that loan be considered a home equity line of credit or? No. No, okay.
1: So the home equity line of credit is when it's like, it's literally a line of credit. It's interest only, but that's under the home equity laws. And that's where you're capped at the 80%. Mm -hmm. This is done with an ulti lien and it's a regular rate and term. Okay. high. We're just we're like let's say the loan balance is two hundred and fifty, and we're increasing it by seventy five thousand to allocate this you know fifty percent equity you know or whatever they agreed to seventy five twenty five whatever they agreed to okay. So we're increasing the loan balance to that remaining spouse to like half of that equity the seventy five grand that she's giving to whoever is increasing her prior lien of two hundred and fifty, so now it's three hundred and twenty-five. So that $325,000 loan has to just be below 95% because we won't loan 100%, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's not under the home equity laws in Texas. It doesn't touch that because it's all done through the ulti lien. Okay, got
2: it. Yeah. All right. So now let's say the divorce decree states that both spouses are remaining on title. So then, obviously, both of them would need to join in the transaction and sign off on everything. Now, then that's when the title company would be asking, have you remarried since then? Because now that new spouse may be considered to join in the sale of the transaction. Because they could have an interest in the property. If they've lived in the property as their homestead, they would definitely need to join. Now, if they've never lived in the property as their homestead, they will have to have another property that we can prove is their homestead, and then they can execute a non-homestead affidavit for our transaction, and then they won't have to sign anything else. Gotcha. Yeah, interesting. hmm And then uh, name changes at the bottom there. So let's say there is a Jane Smith and John Smith are married. Now they're divorced. Jane is going back to her maiden name. So let's say Jane Doe now. So if she were to sign off at closing, the verbiage on the deed would actually have to state Jane Doe, formerly known as Jane Smith, or Jane Doe acquired property as Jane Smith you know, just stating that they are one in the same person.
1: Okay. And they have to sign that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go on to purchasing now. So purchasing, really, I'm going to take most of that from the angle of when there's a loan in place. And again, this is in Texas. If you're in another state and watching this, there may be some different things that are applicable because we're in Texas, we're a community property state. And so there's a little bit different different way to look at it. But the main thing you need to realize when you're getting a loan, okay? If you're paying a cash, you just need to worry about what the title company thinks. But when there's a loan, it comes into question homestead rights. And that also is a concern, Laura, of you guys. Like mm-hmm. who's homestead? Where's everybody living? So when you're purchasing, for the most part, because it's not final yet, okay? So when you're still legally married, the spouse will be required in most cases. I'll talk about some exceptions in a minute, but on the league, there's just three or four legal docs that they're required to sign. It's not a lot. But when the spouses are not getting along, this is an issue, okay? When they're getting along, that's why my first question, when I know that people are devising My very first question is, are y'all on speaking terms? And that is not always the case, okay? And I understand, I mean, I get it, right? So let's help find a solution. Normally, the soon-to-be ex-spouse does need to sign a few things at closing. The deed of trust, which is the security instrument, you're just acknowledging that, hey, this spouse that I still have legally is obligating themselves on something that can be foreclosed on. And then a same name affidavit, they have to sign that. And then there's an occupancy affidavit, just acknowledging that this spouse is occupying it as their primary. So it doesn't mean that they're on title. And it like, let's just say Jane Doe. Let's say Jane Doe is the wife. Let's say she's buying the property. And John Doe, her soon-to-be ex-spouse, is going to have to sign these forms at closing. Okay. He's not on title. We will not put him on title. Won't put him on the warranty deed and he's not on the loan. So it's not on his credit. Like he's no way, shape or form involved. And then we expect, and we definitely, of course, mention that when you do finalize the divorce at some future point, you definitely a good attorney is going to do this, but not everybody uses attorneys, right? So, or not everybody listens or I don't even know. The attorney has to state again, and there's a couple of forms that can be signed at that, you know, for the finalization of the divorce, that this is your sole and separate property. So this is most of the time. Now, the exception to this, we have had, and I'll be curious in a minute, Laura, what y'all have done with this, but I had this happen during COVID. Number one, it was hard because we were like having to track down this spouse Mm -hmm. that had never lived in the country. She lived in Guatemala and she'd never set foot in the U.S. Her spouse was here. I mean, it was, oh my God, it was (laughs) back and forth, but because she had never lived in the U.S. The question of homestead rights didn't come into play, so we were able to do a workaround. But y'all, this is like so super rare, it's not going to apply to hardly anybody. I mean, it's a few people, but if this is something that is like absolutely, like absolutely, my soon to be ex spouse will not sign, etc., they still have to. There's a way around it, it involves attorneys, which means more money, and they still. the soon to be ex spouse still has to sign a couple of things for the attorney to record saying mm-hmm. that they have nothing to do with this. So like, you're still going to have to track them down. So like, if they're totally not locatable. I mean, that that's really Laura, I think that's the issue, right? Like
2: mm-hmm. I've had
1: spouses that can't be found. Okay. Yeah. Like they are nowhere to be found. And I don't think I mean, I'm just trying to think over 4,300 loans, like all of the scenarios that I've had, like in that case, like they have, like if they're legally married, like even y'all are going to have an issue, right? Like, well, if we can't find this person to sign anything, Mm -hmm. you can buy a house, right?
2: So absolutely. Absolutely. We've actually, it's almost the same instance as, you know, heirs in title and us trying to find people. But yeah, we've had our underwriter come back and state, well, then we can't complete the transaction. I would suggest that they hire a private investigator. Or again, like Jen said, your attorney is going to have to do a lot of work in order to prove that this person, you know, was unfindable. I mean, it just, it takes a lot of work.
1: So there's, you know, in most cases, we of course know where the spouse is. Now there's, again, there's some extra special circumstances. So if you're a buyer and a seller or represent a buyer and a seller that this applies to, you've got to get with not only title, but the loan on at least their new purchase to help unravel this early so that we can see if there's any workarounds for sure. But that's really what I wanted to mention on when the purchase is not final. Now, for me, when you're purchasing and it's been final, it's it's yeah. like it's mm-hmm. like okay, yeah, great. I mean, you're just a single person again. You don't have to put on the application that you're married. So now I wanted to flip and again remember the chat if you've got some questions. So I wanted to just address when recently divorced or soon to be are obviously they've got to live somewhere, right? So both of you or one of you or whatever is going to buy something else. So can we use income for child support and alimony? So these are the rules around that. Now it's the the three month or six month that I have on the very first bullet on the slide here. You've got to have a history of child support and or alimony. If it's an FHA loan, three months. If it's a conventional loan, it's six months and it starts when the divorce decree is finalized. If there was a prior agreement or if there was voluntary, sometimes there's voluntary child support way before the divorce is final, which is great, but we're not going to count it towards that three or six month history. It's when the decree starts that it's been obligated and mandatory Texas, am I right, Laura, doesn't really acknowledge separation agreements, right? Like there's not really, I mean, I've seen them, but they're not really, I think they're from other states. So Texas is a little different. So we just recognize the date that was like, let's say January 1 was when the divorce was finalized, judge signed, everything else. Then the alimony or child support payments after that can be counted. Now, we do have to show that it's also being consistently received. Because there's some spouses, ex-spouses that they aren't able to based on job loss or whatever. It does, whatever the reason, if they haven't been paying consistently, we cannot use that as income. So just, just know the lender's gonna require that as well. And then we have to verify that that alimony or child support is gonna continue for at least 36 months, which is three years after the closing date. So if you have a child that's aging out you know, they're in high school or whatever, and they're about to reach that 15 year old, usually child support we see commonly is till they're 18, you know, or a senior. So it's really gray area. If they're in ninth or 10th grade, you've got to see when you're closing. I mean, I've had some, I've had to unfortunately turn away and it was like, literally there was only 34 months left. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we cannot
2: use
1: oh, I mean, we might have <laughs> to ask for student transcripts. We'll ask for the birth certificate. Like we need to get proof to make sure that it's not in that gray area. So that's really important to know because there are some spouses, they need that income to qualify for mm-hmm. sure. And we can use it as, as long as it meets this, this criteria. Now we've also had, you know, ex-spouses that have, you know, there's good relationship in hand and we've had ex-spouses that have actually co-signed where the, the name will be in Jane Doe's, you know, Jane Doe's going to buy and John Doe says, hey, I just want to help you out. and you know, The kids are going to live there. I'm going to co-sign and they can co-sign without even being on the title. They can co-sign just as a, as a signer, you know, so we've had, you know, there's, there's different things that can happen to help that spouse that's trying to buy in order to, to qualify. So there's some creative stuff that can, that can go down there. I don't think from the part of the loan, actually on the flip side, if you pay alimony or child support or if you're decreed to and it's obligatory, or even if there's not a divorce in place, if there's a court order, let's say there was never even a marriage, but there's a child, right? If you're obligated to pay it, it's the same thing that we have to count it in your debt ratio. Even if there's only five months left, there's no grace on that. Side either so, if you're paying child support, then beware that even if it's going to end at some short-term future date, we do have to count that in your debt ratio. Unfortunately, even if it's going to expire, you know, pretty soon. So that's something to keep in mind. We do have uh, a question, so I'm going to answer that. Yay! Thanks for asking. <laughs> so, uh, if one of the spouses holds property prior to entering the marriage, How can this spouse protect these properties so they don't get entangled in an eventual divorce? Not sure if this is more of a legal question.
2: Yeah, it could be. But because Texas is a community property state, it really doesn't matter if they own the property prior to them getting married. Now, in this case, it would depend on if they live there as their homestead. If they didn't live there as their homestead, then, and the divorce is final, then, you know, it wouldn't really be an issue, but it's once it's their homestead and the Texas is community property homestead, right? So that is, I do get a lot of questions where people are like, you know, I was single when I bought this property. Now I'm married, and then if they're still married, the spouse has to join in the transaction because
1: he's lived there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Or you have to go back and prove that they've never lived there. Like, what if someone got married and the spouse lives in another state, working or out of the country or whatever? Then you have to you have to prove, like, okay, how do exactly, exactly they've <laughs> never that they've never lived there, which can mm-hmm. be tedious. Lots yeah. of questions. So, going along with the um, multiple properties that they talked about, like let's say, you know, you have someone selling 123 Main Street and your title search doesn't really bring up other properties, does it? I mean, it just looks at the title records of 123 ABC Street. So you wouldn't even know. Right. But I think that question, too, yeah, it definitely is additionally probably a, an attorney question just because. I don't know whether it's a prenup or probably a prenup would kind of solve a lot of that. Like, hey, I've got all this as my separate property. But when you go to sell those properties as a married person, you're going to have to probably prove that that spouse has never lived in any of those properties. It sounds like they like okay. if you're selling, you know, ABC Street, right? That whenever you go to sell those later on. Yeah, that's an interesting question.
2: And honestly, I will have to get back to you guys once I get confirmation from my examination department, but I don't even think title insurance will recognize prenups.
1: Oh, I'm going to write that down to remind you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to where they would still have to go fall under whatever requirements y'all are going to have to sign. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's all we had planned. Like We wanted to make it just really some food for thought, some vocabulary, some provoking questions. If you need a great title company, definitely Laura's the person and then mortgage wise, I'm happy to help as well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Loan Witch End podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow, and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon.